Hey everyone, excited for this week's episode with Tamara of Unbounce. We talk about segmentation and how a PMM can own it. Tamara's process is great and it's really an evolution of persona building, which I think is super important right now. We need to go beyond personas a little bit as an industry. So keep listening, it's a good one. Season one of this show, The Product Marketing Experts, is coming to an end. We are almost there, unfortunately. We've done something like 30 episodes. It's been an amazing ride, but season one is almost over. It's not this episode, but next week's episode is going to be our last episode of this season, and it's a good one. We've got Dave Gerhardt, everybody's favorite marketer. So super excited to have Dave on the show. He really gets into some interesting stuff. We talk about storytelling, so it's a fun one to hear from Dave. Nice way to end the season. But we've still got lots of more content coming. So in uh, the off season of the product marketing experts, Dan Murphy, who works with DG at Privy, is gonna do a show right here on the same podcast on positioning. So he's gonna talk to some of the best product marketing positioning experts who work at companies who are you know, really well positioned or face unique positioning challenges. And he's going to go behind the scenes, interview them, get in deep. We're going to preview it on the show on, on St. Patrick's Day, the 17th. So you'll hear about it here. My narrative design masterclass with the Product Marketing Alliance is up and live and kicking butt. We've got a bunch of narrative designers in our little secret Slack channel where we're talking about narrative design all day. It's super fun. I really appreciate everybody who's in there if you are listening. If you want to up-level your storytelling skills and really be able to tell a story that people can't ignore, whether it's for your company or for your product line or for your individual product, this is a class that I think really, really benefits both product marketers and product owners. And it's something that I think is just a big opportunity for right now. If you can tell a story and break free from the pack and stand out, no win big. This podcast is a partnership with Sharebird. Sharebird.com is a peer mentoring platform for product marketers. Amazing resources there on the website, a job board, these AMAs, all sorts of cool stuff for product marketers, more shows, more podcasts. Sharebird has a bunch of podcasts now, which is awesome. Love to see that. So check it out. Go to sharebird.com. You can always connect with me on LinkedIn. Shoot me a DM too. We'd love to hear from you. If you've got any feedback, email us at podcasts at sharebird.com. All right, let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Product Marketing Experts brought to you by Sharebird. I'm your host, Marcus Andrews, and today we're diving deep into segmentation and how PMMs can own it. Look, I don't want to have to say it because I know some of you love it, but I think it's high time that we retire the persona. I know, I said it. It's had its place for sure, but we can do better. I think I think we can take a more data-driven, more insightful, more considerate, more inclusive approach to customer insights. That's what we're after, after all, right? Customer insights, not necessarily a fictional representation. Insights about our customer base that will help product build, will help marketing market, will help sales sell, and align our business around truths related to customers, insights and truths. I've heard a number of ways to do this and to solve for this, but today's guest and how she thinks about segmentation, how it can become this source of truth for customer insights is really, really insightful and innovative. Her approach in true product marketing expert fashion, I think will jump you forward. And she has done a ton to make this process and thinking really, really great over the last several months. Tamara Graminski is the VP of Strategic Growth, which includes customer and product marketing at Unbounce. 
Super excited to talk to her today. How's it going? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Really excited to chat. I know you've been working a lot on this topic and you've got a lot to share here. It's one we haven't covered before. So thanks for being here. Really excited to talk about segmentation. Yes, it's one of my favorite topics. I'm so excited to talk about it. Awesome. So before we get into that quickly, how'd you get into product marketing? How'd you make your way to Unbounce? I feel like my answer is similar to most people, which is I kind of fell into it. I was always really passionate about storytelling. I was a voracious reader and writer as a kid. And I did my undergrad in professional writing and then my master's in publishing. And along the way, I kind of fell in love with this idea of being able to tell stories online, publish it really quickly, get feedback really quickly. And that just kind of naturally evolved into the world of tech and into the role of product marketing, which kind of combines my favorite thing, uh, storytelling with another passion of mine, which is business. And I feel like product marketing really is that unique intersection of the two. Totally. It's right there. That's why I love it too. You know, it's a great place for storytellers and people who care about a product and tech. It really, mm-hmm. it really, really is. So today we're going to talk about segmentation, which maybe isn't something that product marketers talk about all the time, but I'm excited to learn more about it. I've seen the value of it a little bit, but how do you define segmentation? Like what, what is it? Yeah, that's a great question. At its most basic level, I think about customer segmentation as the strategic process of essentially dividing up your customer base. And this could be based on, you know, your market or your customer base. And there's a couple of different ways that you can start to divide that up. But at the end of the day, the goal is really to identify your best customers and then build highly relevant products and experiences that will help you acquire, engage and retain them. Interesting. All right. So you're, you touched on some of it there, but like, you know, why, why do this? Maybe the better question is like, why isn't this happening? Why do most companies not do it? And then why, if you're thinking, if you don't do this today and you're thinking about switching to it, why invest in this when you have a million other things you could potentially do? Yeah. It's all about alignment. You know, if you go into a company, maybe, you know, you start a new job there and you ask 10 different people, who's our target market or what's our customer segment that we're focusing on? So many companies, you'll get completely different answers. And when you don't have that level of alignment and clarity, it means that every different team across the company is building a different strategy. And so even if you think you're moving in the right direction, there's nuances to it. And you're actually potentially doing things that are harmful or competitive against other teams. And so at its heart, it's about building alignment but there's also benefits for both the end customer as well as business benefits. From an end customer's perspective, the more that you understand your end customer or prospect, the better and more relevant experience you'll be able to deliver to them. I mean, this is at the heart of product marketing in general. And then from a business perspective, if you're actually able to understand who your best customer is, and there's a couple criteria for best, but your best customer, a component of that is that they're high performing. And so the more that you're able to get more of your best customer, you're actually able to improve your overall business results as well. And so you create alignment, you provide a better experience for the end customer, and hopefully you're moving your business metrics in the right direction. Yeah, for sure. I mean, alignment is one of those things that, especially at the company level, is hard to like measure or understand or think about as the com- as a company gets bigger, but it can have a huge, huge impact. And uh, whose job is alignment? I mean, it's definitely the the CEOs, but outside of that, I don't I don't know. Uh, but it's cool. How, like product marketing marketers can have impact on alignment in a lot of different ways. But I totally agree that you know the single view of the customer, the better insights you have on the customer really understanding that will, will generate alignment. So I've seen that too. Uh, and then I also just like your point around 
the best customer, having knowing who your best customer is, I think is really valuable and not always something people look at, you know, we'll build, we'll build more generic personas Mm -hmm. or, you know, have market insights, but knowing exactly who is the best fit customer and why I think is really valuable. And and always, I've always found it insightful too. So I like that a lot. All right. And so then, I I mean, you kind of touch on this too, like why you should do it, but why did, like, how does it make, how does it make things better? Like, why does it work? Like if you've got this information and you're launching a product or writing a blog post, you know, like, how is it helping me? Totally. It really depends on where you are in the organization, but it becomes that single source of truth and the starting point for any strategy that you're building. So if you're thinking about a new content series that you want to create or, you know, how you want to build the the buying flows on your website, you are always going back to what is my target customer? What's my customer segment? What do I know about them? And then how do I create an experience or a product that delivers what they're looking for? And it really just provides like a bit of a decision-making framework as well. So you understand what trade-offs you need to make in order to build something that actually works for that customer. And I mean, it also makes it easier when you have new people joining the company or new teams being brought into Mm -hmm. projects, especially if you're in a high growth tech company, you're constantly onboarding new people. And so this provides that level of clarity and alignment for them as well, so that they're able to understand your strategy immediately. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the thing with alignment. It's always getting harder and harder, especially high growth companies as, as they grow. I think that's a great point. Okay. So this is whose job is this? You're on the product marketing show and you're a product marketer. So I think that, you know, you've got some insights into how product marketing can lead this. How, like how does product marketing lead this? Is this a product marketing responsibility? How do you think about that? I think it's totally dependent on how your teams are set up at your company, but I would argue that I think product marketing is in the best position to lead this exercise. Of course, it has to be collaborative, but the reason I believe product marketing is in a great position is that this activity involves looking inward at your existing customers, as well as looking outward at the market. And product marketing really is that perfect role who does both of those things. And Mm. so if a product marketer is leading this exercise, they can bring in the right stakeholders to help them, but they have that full holistic view. I would say also, you could argue that a product manager might do this work, depending on how you've set up the differences between product management and product marketing at your company. But if that's the case, then again, they would want to make sure that product marketing is involved to at least uh, bring their perspectives to the table as well. Yeah, let's keep it in product marketing. Yes. It sounds cool. So I, I want it selfishly. I like it. Yeah, well, I mean, but you know, PMs are, I see how they're a great partner for this too. But all right, so how does it happen? Where do you start? You've got some expertise here. You've got some frameworks here. This is why you're on the show. Excited. Like, tell me about it. How do you get started? What's the right way to think about it? Yeah, most people start to get anxious when you say the word, who's my best customer? And they immediately think that this could be a subjective activity, right? We're gonna get the founders in the room, we're gonna get the SLT in the room, and we're all gonna say who we think our best customer is. But I wanna reassure you that it does not have to be subjective. This is really all about building data-based segmentation. So I think you mentioned earlier, personas, we do those a lot, but that's slightly different than what we're talking about here. And this is more data-backed than perhaps a persona would be. So for me, I've actually developed a model that I think works quite effectively. It's called the MAP model. So mapping your best customers. And throughout the process, you're really going to focus on three main steps. The first one is measuring volume. And this is just really understanding 
who is in your customer base right now? If you have a subscription business who's been a trialer in the past, who has churned out and starting to build a bit of a data set that you can start to understand who are retracting a lot of and you know how many are coming in through the door. Then the second step is analyzing performance. So you want to look back at, okay, great. We have a couple different groups of customers that we have a lot of, but are they actually performing or are we just attracting a lot of them, but we're actually not doing a great job of engaging and retaining them. And then the final step is actually looking at prioritizing the potential of those segments and thinking about, can I actually capture that segment in the market? Can I grow? And is the size of this market large enough to sustain our own growth ambitions as a company? Super interesting. So is there like, where are you pulling all this data from? Is this something that, you know, in your experiences is something that's usually easy to gather inside of a company? Is that a challenge? Like, you know, tell us about, how do I think about getting this and Mm -hmm. making sure that it's, I've got like a complete picture or I don't know anything else that's, that you should watch out for when trying to, trying to pull this together. Yeah, the most important part of this whole process is forming a really robust data set, but it does not have to be complicated. And that's why I think product marketing can still own this. Depending on how your business is set up and how your database is set up, you might want to partner with someone from the data team to help you build a bit of a spreadsheet that has all of your information. But when I'm pulling the spreadsheet together, I'm looking for things like geographic information, demographic information, perhaps behavioral or psychographic information, depending on if you've captured that type of information for your customers, as well as account data. So, you know, what day did they sign up? How long have they been a customer? How much do they pay you every month? Or if you're in, you know, more of a one-time product purchase, are they a repeat purchase? How much have they spent over their whole lifetime with you? You're looking for those types of data points and you're compiling them all together, truly just into a spreadsheet. Like Excel is your best friend for this exercise. And so it will depend on the type of business you're in and how much data you have available. There are tools that you can use to supplement your data. So for example, if you're in B2B and you pull your data together and you're like, I think there could be interesting something around verticals or industries, but I just don't capture that on my existing customer base. You could use a tool like Clearbit to try to pull that in and supplement the view that you have of your existing customer. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And then, all right. So now, and what is it? So what does the output of this look like? Is there... Is it, is it a deck like a persona? Is it like, how, what's the best way to, I've done this analysis. I've got the data set. I've done the analysis. Like how am I, how am I, like, what is just the physical or it's probably digital, but what does the output of this look like? It's very similar to persona, but I recommend something that I call a segment profile. And the reason it's different is that again, it's really, it's both qualitative and quantitative where a persona is really more just like a fictional view of a customer. And you may even create personas out of your segments. That could be some work that comes out of it. But when you're thinking about putting together a segment profile, you're wanting to put together your final recommendation on, hey, it's this segment, or maybe there's two segments that you want to focus on. And here's what we know about them. You want to include some business information because that's going to be really critical when different teams around the organization are making decisions or trade-off decisions. So understanding things like their conversion rate, maybe their customer acquisition cost. You actually want to include that in that segment profile. But then you also want to, once you understand which segment you want to go with, you want to do a bit more product marketing discovery work around that segment to understand, you know, why are they purchasing your product? What problems do they have? What jobs do they have to be done? What are the pains and gains they're looking for? And then you want to synthesize that for each of the segments so that that kind of becomes the blueprint that everyone across the organization uses to build their strategies off of. 
Yeah, super interesting. Okay, so is there a, a wrong number of segments? So it's it's like how many, what's an ideal, you've done the analysis, you're creating this output. Is there just, is there one main segment and a few other ones or are there 10 segments? Is that, am I thinking about it the right way? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And it, again, just uh, depends on the size of your business. I would say for most tech businesses who are growing, but you know, not necessarily the hub spots of the world, you're really looking for a one to three segments. The whole purpose of segmentation is extreme focus and prioritization. So as soon as you start to go beyond three, it gets really complicated. But that said, there could be sub segments within it. So for example, if you're like, one of our segments are going to be digital marketing agencies. It could be that when you actually get down to the product line, the product line wants to dig into a sub-segment of that main segment. And that's totally okay. That type of work can happen. And that's really why segmentation can happen at the company level and at the product portfolio level, which I think is really exciting. Of course, there are those mega companies out there too, where they actually have huge lines of business or different markets. And of course, if you're trying to service, you know, an international market, as well as say a North American market, you probably will have different segments and that's okay too. So the scale of your business is going to help dictate that, but always keep in mind, focus, focus, focus. Yeah. I like, I like that. I think that is, that focus is super important. And I agree. Like, you know, you want to have a, uh focus, but it to be accurate. And I see the other thing too, I like about this is just that there's some problems with personas where they are, they do feel like a, a bit of a blunt instrument sometimes where it's yeah. not, you know, it's not telling me too much about this. And this feels more insightful in data driven. I like all of that. How do one thing with personas, another problem with personas is that, you know, sometimes you create this, you roll this out, it sits on the wiki, nobody uses it. How do you roll this out? How do you get it into people's process? Why why are people using this? How are people using this outside of just your team? Yeah, I think I would consider rolling it out the same way you would roll out any major initiative or you know your personas where it is a company-wide educational exercise. And hopefully before you even think about rolling it out, you've already got buy-in from key teams, right? Because you're not just going to present this one day to your product managers and, and UX team and be like, great, we're building for a new audience now. Hmm. They're going to have to buy into it ahead of time. They have to agree that this is also the customer that we want to build for and market to. But once you have that buy-in from those senior leaders or stakeholders, then truly making sure you're going around department to department and helping them understand how they can use it. Because as you mentioned, the use cases will be different. So for example, for the marketing team, this is going to be so exciting for them because they can start to think about how do I build multiple buying flows on my website? Maybe even how do I test different value propositions for these segments using PPC campaigns and driving them to different versions of landing pages? For your customer marketing team, how do you think about segmented onboarding? What information can we capture about a customer at the point of signup that could then tailor their experience as they start to learn about our product? Or even when I'm running my retention or my churn campaigns, how do I use segment data to understand what offers would be really compelling to bring someone back or retain someone? For your sales team, it could be building pitch decks for each individual segment and so on. I mean, I could talk about this all day, but really it's about tailoring and helping those other teams see how they can leverage the work that you've done. Yeah, I like it. No, those tangible examples are great. Let's do it. Let's like, can you tell, tell us a little bit more about how the sales team would use this? So, I mean, different different pitch decks, I imagine also, you know, the better understanding you have of, I mean, it's similar to personas, right? The better understanding you have of this segment and the challenges that they're facing, the better 
conversations you're going to have, the stronger relationships you're going to be, you're going to build. Is that true? How else is sales using this? Any creative ways that sales can put this to use or why they would be excited about it? Yeah. I mean, really it's about empowering them with the most compelling narrative to bring on their sales calls. Right. And so again, it takes that, okay, generic sales pitch about your product to being very focused. So it's, if you can identify that this prospect falls within this segment, here's the most compelling narrative. Here's the one value prop that we know resonates the most. And we didn't really touch on it, but as part of this exercise, I often will look at pricing for the segment as well, because you may realize that the segment that you've landed on your current pricing isn't really working for them. So you'll want to reassess their willingness to pay and even the value metric that they care about. And so again, arming your sales team with the knowledge that, Hey, we've validated the exact price point and willingness to pay for this segment. We know that this value metric is something that they find very compelling. And here's how you can position that it's going to increase their win rates. It's going to increase their confidence going on those sales calls, which hopefully will get them more bought into it and really see the value of product marketing. Yeah, absolutely. And imagine too, it's helpful. I mean, is this something that are you, do you have a positioning process too, that's, that's built on top of this data? Are you building like unique positioning for all these segments too? How does a hundred percent as one of the enablement tools, when you're rolling this out, you'll definitely want to do a positioning framework or a messaging framework for each of the segments that you've ended with, because that's going to help everyone else at the team know exactly what language to use, what value props to talk about. Yeah. And I, and I, I know your point too. It's, it's fun when it works, right? It's like yeah. all of a sudden, like on, on sales calls, like I've, I've been there before, you know, we've done, done good research around a new market that we're entering or something like that. And sales has been really struggling and then they get on the call and all of a sudden, you know, they've, they've got your, your positioning and your segment information. And all of a sudden they start using the right language and it starts mm-hmm. opening doors with, you know, with folks and it feels kind of magical. So I've, I've seen it, I've seen it work in that way too, where it's like a lot of the time, you know, you can't just go problem solution with everybody in the same market. You really got to speak their language. You really got to understand yes. them. And it's all about momentum too. Like imagine how happy the sales team will be once the prospect that they're talking to has already, you know, seen a really effective PPC ad that spoke to that segment. Then they landed on the website and there was a buying flow for them to enter into. They requested a demo. And by the time they've even spoken to the sales rep, they've already been teed up for the story that's most relevant for them. So it's really about building that momentum of all the teams working together, moving in the same direction. Totally. And that's the expectation. I I think that's out there too, in the market right now is that, you know, people really have, they, they expect, you know, a tailored experience. They expect a product experience that's like unique to them, which is usually pretty hard to deliver like a product you know, your average B2B software company isn't going to build like 17 versions of the product to solve Mm -hmm. for specifically for each industry, maybe in little pieces, but the, the product marketing can do that. And I think it can feel, it can start to, you can start to build an experience for a customer in a specific segment that feels very crafted, you know, and that's a differentiator. I think that's something people will notice. Completely. What kind of mistakes do people make in this process? Is this, you know, like if I'm doing this for the first time, I'm trying to figure it out, where am I going to go wrong? Help jump us forward so we don't make any mistakes as we're trying this out. Yeah. One of the things that often goes wrong is people get stuck on that first step, that volume step. So they've pulled together their spreadsheet, they've done some slicing and dicing, and they get really excited because they see that, wow, did you know 40% of our customers are digital marketing agencies? That must be our best customer. And then they stop the work. 
But what they maybe didn't discover in step two was that even though they're attracting a lot of that market, they're actually converting really poorly or they're not retaining for a really long amount of time. So it really is this balance of volume and performance and potential that needs to be looked at altogether. So I'd say don't just stop and get too excited about the volume that you see in your customer base or in your trialers. The second one would be make sure that you have the right people at the table from the very beginning so that you know your founders, your SLT, your leadership is bought into this exercise because you don't want to spend, you know, say three months going through this only to have it end and be like, well, we actually won't go after that segment at all. You know, mm. we're not bought into this. Or like what you said before, that the product management team won't embrace this work or don't feel like their voice is reflected in this work. So making sure that the right people for you are set up from the very beginning and that you're sharing early and often throughout this process. And then the third one I would say is don't stop. This is foundational work. It's not like the end of the work. And one of the things I'm really passionate about segmentation is that it's all about helping you focus and then find the next thing to focus on. So this idea of adjacency. And I really love this kind of analogy of the game of risk. I don't know if you've ever played the game of risk. Oh yeah, Okay, Absolutely. great. So, you know, the game of risk, it's about world domination, segmentation mm -hmm. and business is kind of about market domination. Mm -hmm. And we all know that in the game of risk, the easiest way to win is to set yourself up to own a very specific part of the board. Because if you own that continent, then at the beginning of your turn, you get extra men, right? And that allows mm -hmm. you to build momentum. So most people will start by trying to own Australia. It's really small. You own it, you get extra men. Then if you think about, great, that's my core segment. Who do I go after next once I've really fortified that market? No one's going to say, oh, I'm going to go after North America. That's on the other side of the board. It's going to be so hard for you to get all the way over there. They're going to look around and they're going to be like, what are the territories that are one step away from Australia on the game of risk. And that's gonna be the easiest market to win. And so kind of think about that from segmentation. Okay, if I've decided that, you know, digital marketing agencies with, you know, 25 to 50 employees are my target market, I'm not all of a sudden gonna go after marketing agencies of 500 employees. I'm probably gonna right. go slightly up or down market, or I'm gonna to go to a new vertical that's really close to that, that has a similar customer problem. So thinking about that evolution and how you might evolve right from the beginning is a critical piece to this as well. Yeah, I like that too. I mean, I think sometimes there is a urge to look at like, you know, just be totally driven by TAM or something like mm -hmm. that, where it's like, Hey, let's, let's look at the largest, you know, you don't want to go right after Asia and risk because it's going to be hard to defend potentially, yes. or there's lots of people there, you know? And it's like, if you think about that in your TAM, I think it can be, you know, exciting or tempting to go after something that's the biggest TAM, but it's better to start with those, with the, with the segments where you're really crushing it, I yes. think, and, you know, figure out why, and then build off of that. So I like, I like your approach there. How do I know if this is working? Like, how do I know I'm doing a good job? What does good look like? How do I understand that? One would be, is it just being picked up by everyone across the org? And do you feel a sense of excitement and alignment? Because that's going to be really important. You need to kind of capture that before you even think about business performance. The second would be business performance. And so as part of this process, as you're analyzing performance, you're starting to get an understanding of what percentage of my customer base does fit into this segment. And let's imagine that 20% of your customer base fits into the segments you've proposed. Well, your goal really should be to try to 
increase the ratio of those segmented customers and decrease the ratio of non-segmented customers. Because we've proven that segmented customers are your best customers. They have high business performance. And the more that you're able to get of them, overall, you'll drive your performance up. So it will depend on the business. For example, if with your segments, you're like, these segments have an amazing conversion rate and they also have really high survivability, then those would be the two metrics that you're trying to keep in mind as you're starting to see the ratio shift in your customer base. But those could be different metrics for someone else. Maybe expansion is really important to a different business or churn. Yeah, really interesting. Yeah, I think that's a good way to think about it. That ratio of the segment and as you're starting to get more clear on who that is and how you attract them, it should grow. And so I think that Mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense to me. People learn more about this. This is uh, super interesting. You've obviously got uh, a good process here. Anything that you can share with people or that you're working on that ways people can learn more about this? Yeah, I've actually just created a masterclass on this with the Product Marketing Alliance, and it's going to be launching in March. So that's a great place to go if you want to understand more about segmentation and get all of the tools and frameworks you need to run this type of exercise in your own business. I also love to talk about it on LinkedIn. So uh, follow me on LinkedIn, uh, reach out to me. I'm always happy to start a conversation and uh, just chat about what segmentation could look like for you. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, we will do that. Yeah, I think it's a good place to have some help here too. I think, you know, segmentation is one of those things where there probably is a, it's like positioning and I really like April Dunford's process. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's great. Like it's a great process. You should just get forward and, you know, use it. And you're going to have to figure out a lot of things to implement one of these inside of your company. So having a good framework and not recreating the wheel, I think is smart. So that's awesome. Glad you're working with the PMA on that class. Amazing. What's your outlook on the career of product marketing? You think it's a good place to be right now? I think it's the best place to be. (laughs) And I'm just so obsessed with the world of product marketing. And I love seeing this evolution that's really happening towards strategic product marketing. I talk a lot about that. And one of the things that I'm really optimistic about for the next year and beyond is just what does product marketing even mean? And what does strategic product marketing mean? You know, we're seeing a lot of things start to come into product marketing, like customer marketing, for example. And I just love to see how those functions are coming together to drive truly the best strategies and experiences for both the market and customers. So that's one thing that gets me really excited about the role. I love that. Yeah, I've seen the same thing. I mean, I think it's been a real progression. And I think people are really starting to come together and understand the value that product marketing brings, but also Mm -hmm. just like have, like get more strategic about it and make sure that we do have a process and a plan and expected outcome, like a way to repeat things like Mm -hmm. storytelling or segmentation or positioning or whatever it is. So totally agree. Everybody go check out uh, tomorrow's course. Hopefully it's live by the time this podcast rolls out. It should be and connect with her on LinkedIn. And thanks for making some time tomorrow. It was really good to chat. Thanks so much for having me. City lights, uh, but it's alright.